So we are at Psalms chapter 10. And here we've titled today's message, if you like taking notes, Waiting in the Presence of God. Waiting in the Presence of God. You see, this title is so important because we're learning here that David is a man that is waiting for justice. We learn that David is a man that's waiting for deliverance. And we see that not only is he waiting for these things, for deliverance and, and for justice, but, he, but he's waiting for these things in the very presence of God. And I want to ask you, maybe you're in a season of waiting right now. Maybe you're waiting for that job. You're waiting for uh, just an answer to prayer. Maybe you're waiting for the Lord to take you into a new season of life or a, of ministry, of relationship with Him. And I want to let you know that the best place to wait is in the presence of God. Can you guys say amen to that? Amen. We know that that is the best place to wait. And as he's waiting in the presence of God, he's also waiting in the will of God. Not only in the presence of God, but he's waiting in the will of God. And that's where we want to be. We want to be in the will of God. It was A.W. Tozer that said this, Outside of the will of God, there is nothing I want. <laughs> and it says, And in the will of God, there is nothing that I fear. Wasn't well, that deep? Outside of the will of God, there is nothing that I want. And inside of the will of God, there's nothing that I fear. You see, A.W. Tozer, just like David, knew that the safest place to be in is in the pre presence of God. And that's where you learn to trust God. There's a lot of times in our lives that we're waiting for God to give us an answer to prayer. We're waiting for the Lord to deliver us or to now display justice on our behalf. And as we're waiting, we're not really trusting because we don't learn to what it means to step into the presence of God and say, Lord, not only do I want to wait, I also want to trust you so that I can obey you in this process. Let's hear here in Psalms 10 how David is crying out in the will of God, in the presence of God. He's trusting God there. He learns that that is the safest place to be in. That there is nothing better than waiting in the presence of God. It says this, Psalm 10 verse 1, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecute the poor. Let them be caught in their plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above, out of his sight. As for all of his enemies, he sneers at them. Verse 6. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. Can we pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you because we're learning that David, as he's waiting in your presence, he's learning that that is a safe place to be in. He's learning that that's where trust begins, in your presence. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would not want anything outside of your will, Lord. That we would cry out to you in times of trouble. That in times of trouble we would have confidence, Lord. And Lord, although we don't understand some of the things that take place in our world around us, the evil, the sin, the chaos, Lord, we do understand who is in control. We do realize it, God, and we pray that we would stand on that tonight. It is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, Amen. Amen. 
Now he says here in verse 1 and on that he's questioning now the success of the wicked. And he's saying, where are you God? There are often times in our life where we ask that Lord, among all of these things that are taking place, where are you Lord? And why do you stand afar off? Why do you ignore me when I'm crying out? Do you not see that the wicked is taking advantage of the poor? Do you not see that some now are taking advantage of and there is injustice that's taking place? Now notice here in verse 1, he's crying out to the Lord and he's saying, Lord, I'm in trouble. The, the wicked man, the evil man is persecuting me. Now notice this, David was a man after God's own heart. But it didn't mean that he did not go through tribulation, that he didn't have to run from his enemies. In fact, it tells us this in verse 1, Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in their plots, which they have devised. And he said, Lord, handle the proud person. Handle the wicked person, Lord. In a proud heart, what they're doing is they're taking advantage of people. They're coming against the poor. They want to come and overturn them and overrule over them, he says. For the wicked boasts in his heart's desire. Look at what the wicked does. Their heart is filled with one thing, pride. And pride dominates their heart. It says he blesses the greedy. In fact, the wicked, what he does is he praises now the greedy and he despises or he rejects the Lord. This is the character of the wicked heart. The wicked heart will always praise greed and the wicked heart will always reject God. Do you notice that? That's what the Bible says that the money is the root or the love of money is the root of all evil. Because in it, it dominates your heart. And it says here, the, what the wicked do is that they bless now the greedy and they renounce or they reject the poor. Verse 4, the wicked in his proud countenance, not only does he have a proud heart, but he also has a proud countenance. Notice that. He also has a, a proud look in his face or in his eyes, in his demeanor, in his display now. And in his proud now look, this is what he does. In his proud countenance, he does not see God and God is in none of his thoughts. Now not only does he reject the Lord, not only does he oppress the poor, but his pride now takes his attention away from God. Do you notice how here in verse 4 it says that the wicked does not seek God? It is the humble that seeks God. It is the righteous that seeks God. The wicked doesn't seek God and it tells us why. Because his heart is filled with pride. And I'll tell you, some of the moments when we're not going to be seeking the Lord, when it's going to rob us for our attention from spending time with God is when our heart is filled with pride. That's exactly what he says. Look, he doesn't see God. God is in none of his thoughts. Pride, what it does, it, it, it consumes your thoughts with self. And it takes all your thoughts, it takes all your attention away from God. And he's saying here, look at the proudful doesn't think about God, doesn't regard God, in fact rejects God and oppresses the poor. Where are you, Lord? Are you ignoring me? <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? Where are you, Lord? Are you ignoring me? His ways, verse 5, are always prospering. They get away. Why does it seem like these people are getting away and they're responding in pride? Not only are they getting away, but it says here, your judgments are far above out of his sight. For all of his enemies, he sneers at them. He says in his heart, look what he says here. I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing. This proud person believes that they can get away. You know what it's amazing about even the word of God that speaks to our time today? There's a culture in our generation that believes that they can get away with sin. 
There is a culture in our time right now that believe that they can overturn order and the law. But here it speaks about God that He does not let anyone get away with sin. He doesn't. In fact, He says the proud heart, this is what He does. His mouth is full of one thing. It's full of cursing. His mouth is full of lies. It's full of deception now. Under His tongue is trouble and iniquity. He's looking for ways now. And they're, they're manifested through the things that He speaks about. It's all sin. And it's manifested in His lips. He has no understanding of the Word of God. And He has no understanding of the ways of God. You see He's describing here the wicked now? In fact, He sits in lurking places of the villages or in dark places. Look at what the wicked does. This, it speaks to our time. It's so amazing how the Word of God is so relevant for today. In secret places, the wicked does this. He murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the what? On the helpless. You see what David is doing. He's saying, Lord, don't let them get away. Defend me, God. And how many of us know here that when we put our troubles, when we put our petition to the Lord, it's much better that you let the Lord defend you, then you try to defend yourself. Because the moment that you try to defend yourself, God's not going to defend you. The moment that you try to come and say, you know what, let me defend myself. Let me solve this by the works of the flesh or by the manipulation of my hand. God steps back and He says, okay, you do it then. But here what David is doing, he's saying, Lord, look at them. Look at what they're doing now. Do you not see them, God? He says, He lies in wait secretly like a lion in his den. He lies in to wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor. And when he draws them to his net, so he crouches, he lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. Notice this. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. What a proud attitude. You see, oftentimes this is an attitude that we can have when we think, well, the Lord's never going to see God has forgotten. He's not going to pay attention. He's not going to do anything about it. See, it's not okay to be able to abuse the grace of God in times of trial and trouble. In fact, here he's saying the wicked, what he's doing is he's hiding his face. He thinks that the Lord is hiding his face and that he will never see him, that he doesn't have to be accountable to anyone. And the problem is that when we think that we don't have to be accountable to anyone, we then now go without restraint, without now order of the Holy Spirit in our lives, without obedience to the will of God in our lives, and we step out of His will immediately. When you think that you don't need accountability. You see, there are times in our life where we think we don't need accountability, so we don't come to church. So we say, you know, I don't have to come to church. I, I don't really have to be plugged into the Word of God. You know what the Word of God does? It keeps you accountable to the truth. I was talking to a brother even this week and I told him, you know what, the reason why these things are taking place in your life and in your mind is because you're not coming to the house of God to be checked in the Word of God and in the truth. You stay out of the presence of God, you quickly will let the enemy mess with your mind and your thoughts. Because you're not standing on truth, you're standing on feelings, you're standing on circumstances. Do you notice that? And he's, say, he's saying here, he's talking about the wicked because he, he, he tells them now what they believe will determine how they behave. And what you believe today is going to determine how you will behave. Your conduct. If you're standing on this, the Word of God is going to determine the outcome of your now day-to-day -day behavior. And it goes on, he says, Arise, O Lord, Lord. He's asking for protection. He's asking for deliverance here. He's, this is a call for God to take some action. 
And look what he tells them, Arise, O God, lift up your hand now. Don't forget the humble, Lord, don't forget us. Listen to us now. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. Notice that. He thinks he doesn't have to give an account. But you have seen, for you observe the trouble and the grief, to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. Look at the helpless, the weak, the vulnerable have placed themselves in your hands. They put their trust in you. Notice, I want you to write that in verse 14. We put our trust in you. That's what it means to commit yourself to Him. If you never put your trust in the Lord, you're really not committing your life over to Him. And He's saying the helpless now are committing themselves to you. The helpless are trusting in you. They're putting their trust in you so that you would defend us. And it continues on. He says, you are the helper of the fatherless. Isn't this amazing that this is the nature of God? That He is the, the Savior, the helper of who? At the orphan. Of that which needs a father, of he who needs someone to stand up for him and to be that voice. He's saying, and we're putting ourselves in your hands, God. This is break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. Lord, search him out. Examine him. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of the land. The Lord is going to establish now justice in the land by his power. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. Lord, you hear us now. You know the hope of the helpless. And you will prepare their hearts. You will cause your ear to hear. What is he saying here, David? I have confidence that God is listening. You see, the reason sometimes when we step out of the presence of God or why we're so in a rush is because we are not listening to the voice of God. When was the last time you, were listen, you spent time to listen to the voice of God? See, it takes time to listen to the voice of God. And he was saying, Lord, I know that you're listening to me. Why does he know that? Because he's waiting on the Lord. Because he knows what it's like not only to hear from God, but to be heard by the Lord. And he says, Lord, I know you're going to stand up for me. His confidence is there. And you're going to hear me, verse 18, to do justice to the fatherless. Everybody's crying out for justice today. And we think that justice is going to come from a judicial system. It's not. Justice comes when God deals with the heart of man. Justice, you can change every law you want, but if you don't change the heart of man, nothing changes. You can't make someone love someone by a law. It happens by the justice of the cross of forgiveness and of repentance. And this is exactly what he's saying here. Notice what he says. You will bring justice to the fatherless and to the oppressed. <laughs> there are often times that we think that we're going to come up with the brightest solutions when what we need to do is go to the Lord in His presence and say, Lord, I repent there because you're the one that's going to bring justice to the fatherless and you're going to bring justice to the oppressed. That the man of the earth may oppress no more because the hand of God is more powerful than the hand of any other man or leader. Whose hand are you trusting in today? Are you trusting in the hand of man to do some change? In fact, he's saying here, since the Lord is king now, he concludes this fervent prayer. Since the Lord is king, and he calls him here now king, that he's going to establish justice now in a fervent prayer. Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Can you pray that prayer? Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because a life without God's presence is empty. And he's focusing now his thoughts on the Lord. Now in Psalms 11, let's go and read this now. Because he's going to tell us how he's now leaning on his faith and not on his fear in times of trial and testing. There is so much fear taking place right now that it's really teaching us, it is forcing us, church, what it means to trust in the Lord. And I want to ask you, who have you been trusting lately? Have you been trusting the hand of man or the hand of God? Here now, he gets advice, ungodly advice, to run, to flee. Your enemies are coming after you, David. You should run. You should flee. Listen, Saul wants to kill you. <laughs> just, just flee already to the mountains now. But you know what now David does? He says, I have no reason to flee because I know who's on the throne. And I have no reason to fear because I know who's in control. You have no reason to run and the only place you should be running is straight into the presence of God. Now notice this. In the Lord I put my trust. Period. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That, that in itself can speak to us and can minister to us. Where is your trust? Because he's saying in a time of trouble, in a time of testing, my trust is in the Lord. In the Lord I put my trust. And this is the answer of faith. How are you answering this trial. All of us that are going through this season now, these last few months, and seeing the chaos that are taking place around the world, we have now the choice to answer or to respond now with faith or with fear. And how you respond says a lot about how much you are in the Word of God and in the presence of God. If you spend all your time outside of the presence of God because you want to be before the presence of man, you will be responding in fear. <laughs> in fact, when we try to now change things in our hands and we try to now destroy and oppose and, and, and the things get chaotic, you know what that's a response of? That's a response of fear. We think that's a response of power. But that's a response of fear. A response of faith does one thing, waits in the presence of God. Now notice this. How can you say to me, he's talking to those that are giving him advice, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to, the, to your mountain? How can you possibly tell me now to run to the mountains to be sheltered? Why are you telling me this? He's answering those that are telling him this. In fact, he says this, for look, the wicked bend their bow. This is the advice that they're giving him. The wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string, and they, that they may shoot secretly at the upright at heart. The wicked are coming after the blameless. Run, David. <laughs> the wicked are coming after you. You should run now. In fact, not only are they coming after you, but they are going to overturn the foundations of order. And it says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? When they overturn the foundations, what are you going to do, David? Just run to the mountains now. When, when the law and order has collapsed, in fact, that's what he's saying, when the foundations are, are destroyed, when law and order has collapsed or destroyed, what can you do? You know what that, that, that someone is speaking? That is someone speaking to David from the human perspective. From the perspective of someone that doesn't trust the Lord. And this advice, this counsel is inspired by fear. It's not inspired by faith. Do you notice that? 
What's going to happen, David, when law and order is overturned, when no one can defend you, when no one is there to save you? Just run, David, now. It almost makes us pause here and ask the question, who are you receiving advice from? Are you receiving advice from the godly, from the Word of God? Or are you receiving your counsel from the ungodly? Because this is exactly what he's receiving advice now. I really believe that today what's really lacking is discernment and really learning how to discern from the godly advice and the ungodly advice. And making a difference between what your feelings are telling you to do and what God wants you to do. Because we really live, especially in the generation that we live in today, it's all motivated by feelings. Notice what David did. He didn't say, you know what, they're chasing me, I'm out of here. He didn't flee his post. He didn't flee his post. There's trials, there's tribulations, but I'm going to serve through the struggle. I'm going to serve through the testing now. He remembered now that he was on duty, he remained on duty, he was trusting the Lord to protect him, and the Lord did. Because he chose his faith in the Lord. And he knew that I don't have to be afraid because I know who's on the throne and I know who's in control and I'm walking by faith, the Bible tells us, and not by sight. When you're walking by sight, guess what happens? Every moment of your life, when you, have, you hit a trial, you're going to be afraid. When you're walking by sight, every time there's an uncertainty, you're going to panic. And you're going to get advice from the wrong places. In fact, it was Warren Worsby that said this, the leader who flees needlessly from crisis is only a hireling and not a faithful shepherd. Beware of listening to unwise counsel. Put your faith in the Lord and He will protect you and direct your path. I love that. Because sometimes we as leaders should learn what is really the meaning of leading through crisis. Are you going to run? Are you going to run? Where will you run? Where will you end up? Notice here as we continue reading here in verse 4 of chapter 11. The Lord is in His holy temple. This is why I don't have to run. This is why I don't have to be scared. This is why I don't have to be afraid. The world maybe is telling me this. I may feel the pressure of the trial, but I know He is in control from heaven. He is on the throne. The Lord's throne is in heaven. This is why I don't have to run. This is why I don't have to be scared now. I don't need to do this now. Because I know He's watching over me. I know He's examining my every step. And notice He goes, His eyes behold, His eyeless eyelids test the sons of man. I know He's watching over me. And I know He's examining everything that I'm doing. You see, God's eyes are penetrating our hearts in our minds and because of that I don't have to be afraid do you see how he's focusing all his attention on the Lord in fact he's taking his eyes off of himself he's taking his eyes off of his circumstance and he's saying I'm gonna put my eyes on the Lord notice how he says in verse 5 the Lord tests the righteous but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates who is it who does it what is the Lord not pleased with he's not pleased with the sin and he tests and he examines the righteous and the wicked all together, but he hates those who do violence. In fact, he, tell, he says this as he's counseling himself, and he's reminding himself of the justice of God. He says, 
Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of the cup. God's going to deal with him. God's going to deal with the wicked because the Lord is justice and the Lord loves justice. Notice verse 7. The Lord is righteousness. Just remember that the next time you're in a situation where you say, this is unjust, this is not fair. The Lord is on the throne, He watches over me, and He is justice, and He loves justice. The Lord is righteousness now. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. And not only does He say this, look how He comforts Himself. Look what He says. Those that are upright, those that have integrity, those that are blameless will see His face. Those that are blameless will see His face. Do you see the face of God? Are you in the presence of God? He's saying, those that are blameless will be welcomed into the presence of God. And here it's amazing here because the believer, us, disciples, Christians of the Lord, under stress, we can continue to trust God and we can renew our strength knowing, Lord, I am keeping my eyes on You. I want to have a pure heart. Because he's saying those that are upright, those that have a pure heart, will see his face. What does the Bible say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8? Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. They shall see God. Lord, I know that those that are pure are going to see your face. Those that are pure are going to be in your presence. Psalms chapter 12, what is this? Psalms 12 is now David saying there is a difference from what God is telling me and what man says. The reason why this is so important, this Psalms 12, is because there are times in our lives that we are interested more in the words of what other people tell us than in the word of what God wants to speak to us. Now, do you, do you notice here in Psalms chapter 12, he's going to start his prayer with one of, one of the most honest ways of starting a prayer. I've always thought it was so... It, it, it's so Incredible how sometimes people want to impress people when they pray. You see here that David, this in these Psalms, he never tried to impress anyone. In fact, he, he was honest, he was vulnerable, he was real, and he said one word here. Help. Verse 1. Psalms 12, verse 1. What did he say? Help, Lord. I think that's one of the most beautiful and honest, simple prayers that we can go before the presence of God with. With that word, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Because of everything that they're saying about me. Lord, help me. Answer me. Now let's read here because he says, Help, Lord, for the godly man seizes. The godly man are fast disappearing now. These are the words of David now as he's now looking for now the Lord to deliver him. And he's speaking about the words of the ungodly man. And he says, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. There's no more faithful men anymore. There's no more men with integrity. There's no more people that are upright. He says, verse 2, they speak idly everyone with his neighbor. And he talks about the words of the wicked. What are they filled with? They're filled with gossip now. They're filled with lies now. They speak idly. They, they, they speak with a duplicity of mind and of heart and of tongue. With a hypocrisy now. And he's saying, they speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. They're speaking bad about one another. They, they one, you know, in front of them they say something good and behind their back they're saying something different. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. You have to be aware of that even in the church. 
that we don't backbite, that we don't gossip, that we don't speak evil of one another. Because here he's saying, look at, there's no more godly people. And you can see the ungodly nature of them by the way that they're talking about one another. You, you can see the character of Christ in them or what's not in them by the way that they speak about one another. They're lovers of men instead of lovers of God now. And they have this secular mindset that they have to speak about one another now. This is opposite now of a pure heart, of a loyal heart to the Word of God. In fact, he says in verse 3, uh, talking about this double heart, May the Lord cut off the flattering lips now. You see, he wants them to know that flattering lips are not something to be attracted to. May the Lord cut off the flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. Who have said, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are our own, who is our Lord over us? You see, the flattering tongue is a tongue that is filled with pride, he's saying. And here what he's talking to them about is saying, Lord, come against those that think that no one can stop them. Come against those that are now bringing flattery to influence or to take over or to manipulate people. You see, flattery is not a form of communication. It's a form of manipulation. And every time someone comes to you and flatters you, I, I would run away from them. There have been people after service that come and try to flatter. To you, to me, to different people, or even at work, wherever you are. But flattery is not honest. Flattery always comes with a hidden motive or intention in mind. And it can be used to influence people or do you use them for ulterior gain. This is exactly why he says, don't trust flattery. That's why he's saying, Lord, look at their coming with flattering lips now. And we, as we're giving ourselves our entire body to the Lord, it, it means that the Lord is the Lord of our body, the Lord of our lives, but He's also the Lord of our tongue now. And we must glorify Him with the things that we say. Now, look what He says here in verse 4. They think they're not going to be accountable to anyone. But now He tells the Lord now to arise and to defend now. Listen, where He says, verse 4, Who have said with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own who is Lord over us. Who's going to stop us now? Who's Lord over us? I can say whatever I want to say. And it doesn't matter. That's the kind of now mentality that we're living in. Now notice here, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. But the Lord is saying, no, I'm going to stand up. I'm going to arise for those that are being oppressed by people speaking against them. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to establish justice. In fact, he says, I will set him in safety for which he yearns. I don't know about you, but if you're looking for safety against flattery, if you're looking for safety against someone that's coming to you with an evil intention or a motive, what does the Lord say? I'm going to arise for those that are getting oppressed in this manner. And then from verse 6 to 8, what does he talk about? The promises of God are pure. The lips of man are full with flattery and wickedness and duplicity and hypocrisy with the hidden agenda. But the now words of God are pure, they're tested, they're perfected. The words of God are filled with promises. Do you want to stand on promises or do you want to stand on the words of man? Now notice here in verse 6, the word of the Lord are what? Are pure words. They're pure, they're holy. They're not like the words of man. These are pure words. 
like silver tried in the furnace of the earth. What are, what are his words? His words are tested now. His words are durable. His words, notice here, this is amazing. A furnace, trying something in a furnace like silver, speaks of one thing. Durability and dependability. His words are dependable. You can depend upon His words. Isn't this amazing? There's often times where people tell you something and they flatter you, but you can't depend upon what they say. In fact, David says, this is how man speaks, but Lord, I trust your words because they're filled with promises and I can depend on them. They have been tested. Now notice here, purified seven times. They are perfect. Seven times speaks of completion, speaks of now perfection now. And your words, Lord, are perfected and your words are complete. I can trust them. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from, the gener from this generation forever. Shouldn't this be our prayer? Keep us, protect us, deliver us, preserve us from this lying generation. God's heart is a heart of protection for the needy and for the oppressed. But notice what he's saying. Lord, I want you to preserve them from a generation that is being deceived. In our generation, we're living in a generation today more than ever that it is driven by deception. And, and everything that we hear about or we see in social media, in the news and TV, guess what? We easily want to believe in it. And when we start to let it fill our minds, what happens is that we start to live and respond in every situation in fear and instead of faith. And when you say, I'm not going to stand on those words because those words can change. I'm going to stand on the words of God. They've been purified seven times in the furnace. I can depend on them. They came out tested from the fire. Therefore, I'm not going to be moved. And he tells us this, verse 7 and 8. Now verse 8, the wicked prowl on every side when the vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Although the wickedness and the chaos and the, the vile behavior is taking place around them, even though wickedness is praised and exalted now among the land, even though that's taking place throughout the land, God will still deliver the oppressed. God will still deliver His people. God is able to protect His godly people from the lies of the enemy. That's what He's saying. Do we believe that God can protect us from the, the lies of the enemy? Now notice that in chapter 13 of Psalms, as he's crying out, he's saying, Lord, but I don't understand. Have you ever felt that way? Lord, I know you're going to deliver me, but today, right now, I don't understand. So I need you to enlighten me. I need you to flood my eyes and my heart with your light so that I can see and so that I can endure. I need you to give me a perspective that fully is trusting in you so that I'm not led by my emotions. And he's saying, I want to protect my heart. I want to protect my heart, Lord, so enlighten me. Would you write that down in next to verse 1 of chapter 13? Lord, protect my heart. Because here now the psalmist is getting desperate, but he's saying, Lord, I'm feeling desperate. I'm feeling hopeless. I don't want the, the, these, these trials now to overtake me. I don't want the anxiety and the struggle of the enemy pressing against me to make me want to give up or to compromise or to be led by these things. But he says, how long, Lord? Will you forget me forever, God? <laughs> Are you going to hide your face from me, Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? He's saying, Lord, turn around. 
and answer me now. Lord, defend me now. Notice that even us, us as we're going through trials, we have to remember this, that we are shaped through trials. God is able to chip away everything in our hearts that He does not like, that doesn't honor Him. And He makes us men and women after His own heart. You see, notice how everything that David went through, but he was still called a man after God's own heart. Because at the end of the day, you know what? His heart said, I'm going to look to the Lord. <laughs> and that's what it made him a man after God's own heart. I want my heart to be aligned with God's heart. I want to know the heart of God. Notice here, as he's crying out to God in the first two verses, as he's struggling with anxiety now, and many times he had to remind himself that his trust was in the Lord. He had to remind himself to put his trust in the Lord. Today you have to remind yourself, remind yourself, trust in the Lord. How long will my enemies be exalted on me, over me? He says in verse 3 now, as he continues now to cry out to the Lord because he knows that he doesn't want to give himself over to his feelings. He doesn't want to give himself over to his heart or to his deceptive now uh, heart that is not understanding, that is undependable. Your heart is undependable at times. That's why in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, what does the Bible say? Protect your heart. Because you can't depend upon it. It's going to lead you astray if you want to look to your heart for leading. And in he's saying here in verse 3, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Listen to this, verse 3, Enlighten my eyes. This is something that we all need. Give me the right perspective. Enlighten my eyes is saying, Lord, flood my eyes with your light. Flood my eyes, enlighten my eyes means, Lord, give me your sovereign perspective. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. The best thing that you can ask for in a trial is not, Lord, take me out of it, but Lord, give me wisdom and understanding. The reason why we become so impatient and we waste a lot of time in trials is because we're not praying the Lord, give me wisdom and understanding. Enlighten my eyes. Let me see the value in this, Lord. <laughs> give me wisdom, Lord. Flood me with eyes so that I can endure. This is what happens when He gives you and enlighten your eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. That way I do not compromise. That way I'm not dying. Give me your light. Give me your vision. Give me your wisdom and understanding so that I don't become easily discouraged. <laughs> Notice that. How many times have you been easily discouraged in the trial? Especially when your mind and your body is weak. When you're fatigued, you become discouraged. Especially when you don't understand what's happening. But he's saying, give me, Lord, your vision so that I can continue and I don't become discouraged. So that I don't want to give up. In verse 4, he says, lest my enemies say... I have prevailed against me. Let those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Lord, give me victory. Do not let them defeat me. Don't let them rejoice when I fall. He's praying for peace now within him and protection around him. Lord, give me peace inside and give me protection around me, Lord. That's what I need. I'm not going to try to work things, things out on my own. Lord, I know that you are going to work out all the details. Do you know that God wants to work out all the details? In fact, he says in verse 5, you see that he hopes in God, but I have trusted in your mercy. Wow, what a promise here. What is he saying? But I have trusted in your mercy. What are you trusting in today? 
In fact, the mercy of God here is the declaration. He goes from fear in the first now four verses to faith now. And he says, Lord, I've trusted in your mercy and your love that never fails. I trust now. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation now. I trust. I rejoice. Look at that order. Isn't that awesome? I can rejoice because I'm trusting in Him. I trust and I rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt with me bountifully. Because He has been good to me. Because He is so good to me. <laughs> now notice the, the worship song here in verse 5 and 6. What David is saying, he's declaring now because of your unfailing love. I can trust you. Because your love that doesn't fail me, I can trust you. I can, number one, trust you. I can, number two, rejoice. And I can, number three, sing. What an attitude. Is that your attitude today? I trust you, Lord. So in the place of trust, in the place of your presence, I don't have to fear. I can trust you, number one. I can rejoice, number two. And I can sing. Why can I sing? Because of how bountifully you and good you have been to me. He is committed now to trusting God completely. What does he do here? He stops looking at his enemies and he started looking to the Lord. Because his eyes were enlightened. His eyes were enlightened. When your eyes are filled with the world and with the presence of man, guess what happens? You are stopped. When your eyes are filled completely with the Word of God and, he, and with His understanding and with His wisdom, guess what you can do? You can continue now to walk with the Lord. I love what, what Jim Elliott said, this missionary. The saint who advances on his knees never retreats. What was David doing? He was praying. It is the people that now are advancing on their knees, the ones that never retreat. Are you spending time in the presence of God here? Because here what he's showing us, David, from these few chapters that we have read so far, that he is trusting in the Lord. Therefore, his attitude can change. His perspective can change. His trust can change. Let's read these next few verses, uh, these seven verses in Psalms 14, because he says, The fool has said in his heart. Look at this. This is a sad condition of man. It is foolish. The man has no understanding. The man that has no spiritual discernment, the man that is lacking in wisdom and insight, he refuses to fulfill God's purpose in his life, that he knows that he is created to glorify God alone. He's saying the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You know what they are? They've corrupted themselves with that thought. And it says they're corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord sees them and he knows there is none who does good. In fact, he goes on, he says, verse 2, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men. He's looking now, the Lord, to see if there's any of them who understand and who seek God. And the Lord is searching. Is there anyone that has a heart to seek the Lord here? Is there anyone that wants communion with the Lord? He looks down in the entire human race now, and he looks to see from the response of the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The atheist who thinks he's so smart, who thinks he's so intellectual, the professor in the classroom who thinks that he can now uh, expel the existence of God has said in his heart so foolishly and corrupted himself that there is no God. And God is looking down to see, is anyone seeking me? But verse 3, they have turned aside. And because they've turned aside, it says, they have together became corrupt. 
It's so sad when you see someone become corrupt in mind and heart. Because they, they, they think that intellectualism is more important than hearing from the voice of God. Notice what it says here now. They have come, they become corrupted. There is none who does good, no, not one. There's not one person that is good. A lot of people, you know what they say? Well, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm good. Well, let me tell you something. Even the best version of good in your life will not take you to heaven. In fact, it says it. this is quoting out of Romans chapter 3 as well. This is quoted there where it says, No one is good, no, not one. What does this mean? Is that we're all guilty. And we are only righteous, we are only now right before God in our fallen nature through the Son Jesus Christ and through His grace. And it reminds us, verse 3, that we need Jesus. They all turned aside, they've corrupted themselves. No one is good. Have all the workers of iniquity, verse 4, no knowledge who eat up my people and they eat as they eat up bread and do not call on the Lord. These people, they pray over God's people, they consume them, they destroy them, and they do not call on the Lord. That is a generation that doesn't call on God. What does the Lord say? That the Lord will heal the land when what? When it's in people, when the nations do one thing. They call on the Lord. They repent and they call on the Lord. There, they are in great fear. For God is with the generation of the righteous. But they fear. And they will fear because they know that God is on the side of the obedient. Verse 5. God is on the side of the of the obedient. And notice what he says in verse 6. You've seen the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord brings back the captivity of his people. Let the Lord rejoice and Israel be glad. Why can we rejoice? Why can we be glad? Because we know that the Lord is going to bring us out of captivity as he brought what the nation of Israel. And it speaks about a future now deliverance. Jerusalem can be now rejoiced and Jerusalem can be glad because they will be delivered. Salvation will come out of them. And it's talking about the future reign of God here. We can rejoice considering now the coming salvation. We can rejoice considering the coming now deliverance. This is how we should live now if we're going to be seeking the Lord and pleasing the Lord and enjoying fellowship with Him. Now I want to encourage you to continue reading even in chapter 15 and you know as you go home because now he's going to talk about in chapter 15 about what it looks like or what the prerequisite is of the person that is to step into the presence of God. Who can go into your presence Lord? If this is how the world is acting and this is how, what I should do, who is it that can step into the presence of God? Who can step into the presence of God? Well, integrity is a prerequisite for stepping into the presence of God. You can't step into the presence of God in sin. In fact, blamelessness or blameless lives matter. And I want you to remember that. Because today in the world that we live in, you know what matters? Your blamelessness. And in chapter now, 15, he's going to talk about your blamelessness. You want to step into the presence of God, then you better make sure that your life is right with God. Who can step into the presence of God? He who has a pure heart and he who has clean hands. We should not try to step into the presence of God without clean hands and without a pure heart. Let's ask the Lord, Lord, today, I want to step into your presence knowing that there I will meet you. I want to have the integrity now to walk into your presence and knowing that I am not ashamed because I'm seeking you in nothing else. Can we pray?
Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord, because through these psalms we're learning, Lord, what it means to be in your presence, Lord. We thank you, God, because you have taught us, Lord, the difference between waiting in your presence and striving in your presence. I pray that we would be those that wait in your presence and not strive in your presence, not try to fight in your presence, not try to fight your will. And as for any of us that are here today, Lord, that haven't been spending time there, Lord, that we think we're too in a hurry to get to know you, Lord. I pray that we would wait in your presence tonight and say, Lord, I know that you can stand for me, but I want to know what it means to hear your voice. I want to learn that this is the safest place to be in, Lord, is in your presence. There are a lot of times that we can come to church, but we don't come to God. We don't grow in God. And I pray, Lord, that we don't simply come to church, that we are the church, and that we go straight into your presence. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. Amen.